Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. While they're coming down, the rest of you all, if you would join with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, our text will be in there today. So our text is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us now hear the words of the Lord for us this morning. And so let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day is approaching. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, as we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, may you speak to us through the words, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that in speaking to us, our very lives would be transformed so that we would leave here not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. I think it's fair to say that it's the hope of each generation that they would seek and provide the best for their children, even maybe even more so than they had in their own childhoods. That's why we see parents offering sage advice, sometimes wanted, most often not, but phrases like, wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere, or don't drink, smoke, or chew, don't date anyone that does that too. Or, you know, when a kid comes home and says, that's not fair, the parent replies quickly, you're right, it's not. The fair only comes once a year in the fall, and it's springtime. Or maybe the parents have these hopes and dreams that they try to imprint on their children, dreams about colleges and jobs and achievements and merits. Or they seek to prevent any sort of adversity in the child's life. It's where the rise of the tiger mom or the helicopter or the now new known as the bulldozer parent comes along, wiping away any bump in the road that might derail the child or their self-esteem or self-image. Or the parents that give their child every advantage, hoping that they will succeed. But all of these parents, they all have one sense of purpose, is to see their children receive and to have this idea of the best life. In 2014, there were two professors at University of California, Berkeley, that decided to teach a course to teach college students how to be happy. This class was an eight-week class using science and practices, and thousands of students have taken this class called the Science of Happiness. And they've seen marked results, and those that have taken it immeasurably feel like their lives are better, happier, having taken this class for credit. But long before 21st century parents, Long before two professors at UCAL Berkeley came up with a college class on happiness, God had something to say about it. God had something to say about this sort of this substance, this idea of 
our best life. We read this in the Gospel of John in chapter 10 where Jesus is talking. He says, I have come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this idea of abundant living, this idea of our best life, if you will. The life that God wants for you and for me and really for all of God's children. But this idea of our best life begins right here in community. It begins being together. And so we look at our text today, Paul is writing to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He sort of wades into the debate that's happening between the Jewish followers of Christ versus the strict adherence to the law of Judaism. He's writing to encourage the Christians to remain faithful. He's writing to encourage them to keep following Jesus and his teachings. Mike could argue that he is encouraging them to seek their best life as well. So as we read in verses 10 through, uh, chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, he encourages this idea of community. We might call it Christian community. But this idea, and it sort of sets the tone not only for that church, but for all who read this letter in the centuries that follow. Remember, he says these words, let us consider how to provoke. And I love the fact that he uses the word provoke. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he says, let us provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. And then almost he sort of makes this parallel comment, says, as is the habit of some. It's almost like he's having the Christmas Eve conversation. I don't know about you all, but every year, because you probably don't see this, every year at Christmas Eve, all of the churchy magazines, all the churchy consultants, they write these long articles to basically tell clergy like me, on Christmas Eve when your congregation triples in size, don't say wow, I haven't seen some of you in 365 days. I mean, we know not to say that. But what Paul is saying here is not neglecting to meet together. In other words, meet together and encourage one another all the more. He says all that in these two verses. So this text gives us an insight on sort of the part of the best life for us, this idea of life abundantly that Jesus desires for us can be found in the idea of community. That it's in community where we come to meet together, we come to provoke each other to live out our faith by word and deed, and that we encourage each other along the journey. In other words, we find our best life together. So I think about this. We've got to go to the beginning, this idea of being together. It really starts all the way back at the beginning at Genesis when God created the world. Right after he said, let there be light, and it was good. We get all the way down to creating you and me, humanity, and it is good. But we read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, after God had created Adam, the mud man, if you will, from the dirt of the earth and had breathed life into us. God says, it is not good that man should be alone I will make him a helper as a partner. So see, friends, from the very beginning, from the dawn of time, humanity was created to live and be in community, to not be isolated from each other. 
So we think about this throughout history. We hear about tribes and nations, and we're not talking about just politics. We're also talking about like neighborhoods. We look for groups to be with. But the beauty of this expression for me in terms of the theological idea of community, we find in a chapter 2 of Acts. Verses 24, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear what they write down. Of the early Christians, they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every one of them because of the signs and wonders that were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So we think about this community, we think about the Acts 2 church, the beginning of the Christian movement, the first organized congregations, if you will. What did the the believers do? They met in fellowship and teaching. They met for meals and for prayer. They attended to each other's financial needs. They worshiped corporately. They witnessed to their faith coming together as God intended at creation. So there's something wonderful, there's something kingdom-like that occurs when we come together in this place, when we build community with each other, whether in small groups or Sunday school classes or corporately in worship. We learn from each other. There's a saying that our adult faith formation team is going to be looking at called spiritual autobiographies. That's a very fancy term for your faith journey. Imagine if I just caught a time out right now and I divided you in groups of five And I said, for the next 10 minutes, each of you gets two minutes to tell your faith story. How it is that you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior? How is it that you came to be in this place? What does your faith mean for you? So as you listen to each other's faith stories, you will hear similarities, but you will hear nuances that you hadn't thought of and things that will spur your own faith journey beyond that conversation. See, when we come together, we learn from each other. We see different perspectives on the text, on what it means for us from our life experience, from our history, from our own understanding of what God has done for us. But then as we're also together, we begin to hone our sacred story. I think about the United Methodist Church, for example. The people called United Methodists, we have a vast and varied history, but when we come together and share it, it becomes all of our story. The same thing happens with the people called Centenary United Methodist Church. We begin to share our stories of this place, and this becomes our collective story. It gives us strength to be a part of the movement, if you will, of making a difference in the world around us. And we also know that when we come together, that relationships are good for us. Science has proven time and again that human beings in relationships are lead healthier lives, healthy spiritually, relationally, physically, mentally. So it proves what God has known all along, that when we are together, we are better human beings. But when we meet, we don't just need 
to meet for the purpose of getting together. No, we get together in Christian community because that's different than any other type of community. It's very specific. I mean, think about things like having meetings at work. How often have you been to a meeting that took an hour and at the end of it you thought that could have been done in five minutes by two emails? A complete waste of your time and frustration, but you just met for the sake of meeting. Or sometimes we meet in tribes or social circles. We, we get together to have fellowship, but there's really no purpose other than that. But when we meet as a community of believers, when we gather in this place for no matter what it is, there's a real purpose. Paul writes about this. This is why he says, please don't neglect meeting together like some of you do. What he's really saying is, please, there is value in coming together as Christians sharing your faith. Because when we do that, we grow closer in our sacred story, but we better understand what it means to be made in the image of God and understanding of what it means to be the people of God. So while we come together and we grow, something else happens when we come together in community. It says here that we should provoke one another in love and good deeds. We should provoke one another. Something challenges us. I want you to do something with me. For some of you, this is not going to be a stretch. For some of us, it's going to take a moment. I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine being in seventh grade and imagine your first seventh grade dance. Do you remember that? Gangly, awkward, low confidence, not sure you know the dance moves because your mom taught you the dance moves that she danced to in the seventh grade. They're not the same ones. All of that. And so you go in there and you go into the gym and what happens? On the right side of the gym, or what do you find? Maybe the boys, right? On the left side of the gym, what do you find? Thank you, the girls. Thank you. You guys picked on this. You're really good with that. So the gym is divided and the music's playing, the DJ's pumping the tunes out and nobody's dancing because everybody's awkward. And then... It happens. Something breaks the ice. You begin to move to the middle. And the dancing begins to happen as awkward as it is. And then pretty soon the crowd lets loose. And it's a great evening. It's a wonderful, it's the time of your life for that moment. Now, because you get in the car, your mom's going to ask you how the dance is. Your dad is going to go, stupid. You're going to say this. It's not any fun. I don't want to ever go again. You'll go back. But at that moment in time, Something broke the ice and we moved forward. Something provoked us to get off the wall and on the dance floor. Friends, this happens in church too. It is so easy for us to come and to sit on the sidelines to take and receive what is being offered without participating. But in Christian community, in the community that brings out our best life, not only do we take and receive, but we give and we offer. In community, this intentionality provokes us to act with love and deeds, to live out our faith, to be not just hearers of the word, but to be doers. Because friends, the world needs us. The world needs to know that we see, hear, and, and understand God's love, that we want to share that with them. Because grace, the grace that we've received, is too important to keep for ourselves. It's what we must share with the world. And we need to provoke, to challenge each other to do that. To get off the sidelines 
and to get into the life and the game of faith. It reminds me of a church in 2012, uh, Bennett Chapel Beth uh, Baptist Church in Little Possum Trot, Texas, a town of 700. Now this church had one family there that adopted foster children. And this church saw how much of a difference it made in the lives of those children that joined that family that pretty soon 20 plus families adopted foster children as well. So the small church in this small town at the end of the day had adopted 76 foster children. You want to talk about provoking one another. Watching one family make a difference in the lives of some children provoke the entire congregation to do this, to get on board. Think about the change in the lives of those 76 children where all of a sudden someone said, you matter, you care, you are loved, you are provided for, you are important. All because a community of believers was provoked to live out their faith. Might our best life be found when we provoke each other in community to share God's love with everyone that we meet, to look at the world around us and to see where we can make a difference in the brokenness of our world? What might God be calling us to do together? To do for at-risk children in our community, for the marginally or unhoused, for those with empty stomachs, for those who don't think that the world sees, notices, or cares about them. What might the Holy Spirit, what might our community provoke us to do? But as we come together to meet, to learn, to grow closer to each other, to challenge each other, to live out our faith, something else can happen as well. Would you think about with me about the worst day of your life, one of those days where you wanted to go home and you wanted to climb back in bed, you wanted to watch the Netflix, you wanted to scroll endlessly, not even sure what you're doing, just scrolling along, pull the covers over you, get lost in a book, self-medicate with whatever it is that you do, ice cream, mac and cheese, whatever. Is that abundant living? No. That is not the abundant living that God wants us to do. That is actually hiding from the world. That's not living it out. But take that same scenario, the worst day that you can imagine. Imagine if a coworker or a coach or a teacher or a student or a friend or a customer just offers you something as simple as a smile or a kind word or even a cliche that's as empty as they can be sometimes, but still offers it to you as a sign of hope. What happens? In that very moment, despite the fact that you are in the doldrums of life, you perk up for a minute. It lifts you up. It encourages that maybe it's not as bad as you've made it out in your mind. All because of this one simple act of encouragement. Friends, what we hear about this idea of community in Hebrews is that when we come together, that we are to encourage each other. The church is its people. That's you and me. And so we gather for worship or classes or nourish on Wednesday nights or group. Time and again, what we begin to see is opportunities, intersections where we can encourage each other. What we know when we think about all of the metaphors for the church, both its people and its location, that the church is a lighthouse. It's a place of encouragement and hope. 
The church is a care center, a place for healing from the pain and the suffering of the week before. Or the church is an anchor point, a fixed spot upon which we can hold our lives in the shifting sands of the world around us. But friends, it's in this community, it's in being together that we find encouragement for life. That's why it's so important for us to invite people in. That's why it's so important for us to be here as often as we can. To not only experience what we found in this place, but to encourage each other and to receive the encouragement from each other. It's in this place with each of us that we find energy and hope and direction. We find encouragement for the days ahead. We don't just find life, but we find life abundantly in this place. So as I think about sometimes when we gather for worship, sometimes I think about the comments that happen on your way here. Sometimes there are people that just don't want to come and so they sort of are a little obstinate. That's okay, that's sort of our human nature coming out. This obstinate is like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, honestly, there's a little truth in that. Because to say, as we heard last week in our baptismal panels, to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior claims that you are a Christian. So beyond doing that in a church, you don't need the church for that. To declare who you are. But to be, as in to live out, as in to become, as in to grow, then no, you do need the church. You do need community. Because it's in community, it's in a body of believers that we learn, that we care, that we serve, that we change the world. That's what happens in this place. It's in community that we come together to grow. It's in community that we come together to provoke one another to live out our faith in love and in good deeds. So we come together to encourage one another along the journey of life. So it's confirmands that came forward this morning. They're on a journey. They will meet every week up until May. They have you surrounding them. They have their shepherds surrounding them. They have the community of each other. Friends, we have found that in this place. And it's in this place, in this sense of community, that we find this abundant life that God wants for us. See, your best life starts right here, in this place. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.